0: Welcome to the 23rd episode of the Cranky Flyer interview presented by Ontario International Airport. Now, this episode's gonna be a little different than most. I'm not talking to some high-level executive. No, this week, I am talking to Jillian, United Flight Attendant, as well as Artemis from United's Corporate Safety Department. Why, you ask? Well, they both jumped at the chance to fly the Afghanistan evacuation missions. Jillian is a flight attendant, of course, and Artemis, who grew up in Iran, as a translator. I talked to them about their experiences, and man, I found this fascinating. I hope you do as well. But before we get into it, I do want to thank our presenting sponsor, Ontario International Airport. Ontario, or as all the cool kids call it, ONT is excited about what 2021 has brought, including a host of new nonstop destinations and state-of-the-art measures in place to ensure the health and safety of all passengers. Ontario continues to be one of the fastest growing airports, reaching 93% of 2019 capacity this August. And the growth continues, with Southwest just announcing it will add new daily service to Austin starting in March. In 2020, ONT was honored by the Airport's Council International with its Distinguished Airport Health Accreditation in recognition of Ontario's unbending commitment to protect travelers, visitors, and employees from health risks during these challenging times. Visit FlyOntario.com for more. And now, let's get on with the episode. Let's start with uh, Jillian Johnson, uh, flight attendant for United. And uh, if you could tell me a little bit about your background with the airline and, and you know, how long you've been flying, uh, just the basics there.
1: Sure. I am uh, based in Washington, D.C. I've been with United for I'm in my sixth year and absolutely loving it.
0: OK, six years doing it. And then we have Artemis by Andor. And Artemis, let's uh, let's get a little bit of your background here. You're not a flight attendant these days.
2: I'm not a flight attendant these days. I was many moons ago, but um, I work within uh, United's corporate safety department.
0: Okay, great. I guess let, let's start with you, Jillian. Uh, as as a flight attendant for six years, you had the opportunity. Uh, I, I guess, and maybe I should start off with that. How did it work with the, the craft flights where they said, hey, we have to go and, and send these airplanes over to Europe and bring refugees back and things like that? Uh, what's the process internally? Do they just send out a, a, a notice saying, hey, does anyone want to do this?
1: Uh, so per our contract, they have to give, uh, give us a, a, a space of time to sign up. And so I think there was like a window of two days where anyone who was interested after um, the government put out the need for these craft flights, um, you could sign up. And once that window closed, then that's the list that they used to call from in seniority order. So I had to wait my had to wait my turn, but got it
0: right. So when you saw the notice come out, did you know instantly you wanted to be a part of it or did you have to think about this or what, what, what went through your head then?
1: Well, uh, actually, I worked the first evac flight um, before CRAF was put into play. And so I was actually already sitting on the ground in D.C. with evacuees. And that call came out and I said, yes, I want to do this again, because I have now now I have the knowledge of how this flight goes. So I can be a little more prepared um, as flight crew and as a helper um, having that that firsthand knowledge. So, of course, I signed up.
0: Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. I'm sure they're glad you did sign up since you already had the, the drill yeah. down. <laughs> uh, so, for, for you, Artemis, though, so obviously, um, you're not a flight attendant. Did they put out an all-call to pe- anyone speak the language? Or what was How did the company handle this to, to try and figure out what they needed?
2: Yeah. So, United has a daily newsletter, if you will, that they send out to company-wide. And um, they put you know, blips of whatever's going on in the company. Um, on a Monday, they had sent out one, and it had a small little area that asked um, if there's anybody that speaks um, Pashto, Dari, or Farsi fluently to inquire um, to this email address and and let let them know if they're if we're interested in helping with the craft lights. I didn't see this until Tuesday because I was one day behind on reading these. Um, I read them religiously. but um, And so I <laughs> saw it and I'm like, dang it, I probably missed my chance. And so I immediately quickly just was like, I speak Farsi, let me know what I can do. Um, luckily, the folks in, in corporate safety are some of the folks that are, 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 um, are organizing these. So they immediately responded back to me and said, great, we need translators really badly. So I'm um, happy that you're fluent and let's get you on a craft light. And I was on a craft light
0: within 24 hours after that wow i mean that's a that's a change of pace from your regular job Uh, yeah so and farsi now so did you grow up in iran or are you um uh, you know did you just learn it over the years or what where is that yeah,
2: I just picked uh, it up just kidding
0: you could be a, a language <laughs> savant who knows you know
2: <laughs> uh, no i uh, i was born in iran and i left under the similar circumstances as our um, new afghan neighbors that have come over um, left iran during the revolution um, in the 80s so um, I, that's my first language, and English is my second language. I was a proud ESL student in America. Um, so uh, it, was, it was so special to me and important that I was able to help with these.
0: That's great. Now, it, it, they, So they had three different languages they were looking for. I mean, was that just let's cover all bases, or did they know who was going to be on the airplane? Because I, I imagine you don't even really know who's going to be there, right?
2: So they knew it was going to be um afghan uh evacuees and because of that the three the two main languages spoken in afghanistan it's pashto and dari um pashto and dari as we say but um then farsi is is what the language is called it it goes back and forth between dari and farsi so um Yeah. So it's the same language, different dialects. So it's like I I joke. It's like if I spoke English with a Cajun accent.
1: um, Right. So um, or a Scottish accent. New Yorker versus Californian. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. All right. Well, sorry for my uh, my. Uh, lack of knowledge on that. I didn't realize they were all basically the same uh, for communications.
2: Pashto is a totally different language. Yeah, Pashto is totally different, though. So, um,
0: but you could at uh, least communicate with the. the I, I can who speak communicate
2: Dari. in Dari and Farsi, and most folks that speak Pashto understand Dari.
0: Oh, that's kind of like a Portuguese-Spanish thing. I feel like it's there a, you go. okay. You got it. All right. Good. Okay. So. Um, So, you, Jillian, you had already been flying before this. You did the evac flights before CRAF even started. With those initial flights, were those mostly Americans on those, or was it a mix already at that point? How did that work?
1: Um, Well, that is a little hard to say because I didn't look at everybody's passports, but we had mostly evacuees and um, some journalists, but I think even some of the Afghans who are on the plane were also American citizens or, or green card holders, at least, because um, I, I did have a conversation with a gentleman who uh, was visiting family in Afghanistan when things imploded. And so he and his, um, his family group that, that were you know, visiting, they made a beeline for the airport to get out, and they happened to get on the very first flight out. So,
0: I mean, he was able to get his family to go with him that, that he was visiting there as well.
1: I think it was the group that he, like his family members that had come with him to Afghanistan. Yeah, okay. He was like, but the, those who are in Afghanistan, I, I'm not sure if they all made it on the plane. You know, everything was so chaotic. We had people who a, a, as soon as they as soon as we got on the plane with them in Germany, you know, they just wanted to connect to the Wi-Fi because they needed to get in contact with you know the family members who are still hanging around at the airport still trying to get on a plane or still trying to make their way to the airport um or you know hadn't been heard of so it, it was a lot of uh there was a lot of moving parts and not all of those things connected
0: <laughs> yeah and and I imagine for someone like that i mean it it must have been a very somber. Mood for for people with family that I mean this is someone who was in Afghanistan looking to visit his family and then he has to leave and leave these people behind to a very uncertain future right I mean is that yeah. the general mood of on these flights was just f- uh, fear or sadness or I, I I can't even imagine
1: yeah I believe there was a bit of fear and sadness and yet there was also a relief um gosh we had I don't know how many kids on that very first flight and they're just you know running around having the time of their lives because it's the first time that they've been on an airplane and you know they can look out the windows and they can see the clouds and they can you know they can see the ground going by or while we were going over the ocean you know and they were just they were ecstatic and at that point you know the parents are just passed out because it's been such a long journey for them but i think at the uh, you know at that moment there was a bit of relief like oh my gosh we can relax you know we can actually we could sleep right now and not have to worry um, about all of the trouble that was going on. So.
0: I mean, that, it, it don't, it sounds like a movie, right? I mean, you, I, <laughs> I feel like we've seen this movie, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, <that's laughs> um, but yeah, it's so interesting. So was there a difference between the evac flights before craft and then the craft flights or generally did they operate the same? Was it, was it the same basic type of situation?
1: I would say it was the same situations, but uh, with my um, other craft flights, it was. It became very apparent, like the company had listened to the advice that we had given after that first flight of things that we needed, the things that were working, and the things that didn't. So, you know, we were provided with medics on board because we had people who had been, um, who had. Run to the airport you know and had glass in their feet or had broken broken limbs because you know they were trying to either get through a crowd or you know somehow get to the airport, climb over a wall, whatever, and you know had serious injury bodily injury, so having those medics on board was great, and having people like Artemis on board was amazing um, just to be able to have that that point of contact and to have uh that person that can speak in a language that is familiar and not just uh, try to communicate with our body language. And even with masks on, it was so much harder because you can't smile at people. And, you know, I feel like That's I'm right. constantly like raising, like getting my eyebrow workout, like trying to tell people like, <laughs> I-, I am, I am happy you're here. I'm happy you're safe. Like, please let me know if there's anything I can do for you, but to, to be able to convey that in their, um, in their First language was is is a blessing, honestly. Yeah. So the flights have I I feel like the flights after that first evac flight have gone so much better because we've been able to put in play some of these things like having um, interpreters and medics and certain supplies like more diapers and more wipes and um, more blankets and more pillows,
0: <laughs> my uh, and food that they, is some of these better people have nothing, right? I mean, exactly. some of these people are. Yeah, like diapers. I mean, of course, you assume Mm -hmm. someone's getting on an airplane, they're bringing diapers, but this is not a vacation. This is... uh... Yeah.
1: The majority of people I saw come on board had absolutely nothing, you know, except for a small, like, baby bag. And so we were able to provide them with backpacks that have toothbrushes and socks and deodorant, (laughs) the necessary things.
0: Were the flights full? I mean, did they pack them full or did they try and leave them a little... Yeah, they were. Okay. So Artemis, when you... I mean, I I guess they they fly you over to Frankfurt or wherever it was. Is is that where you went first?
2: Yeah. So my flight um, started out in Germany and then we would go in... So I was with the aircraft from the time it leaves Dulles um, all the way until it gets back into Dulles again or Philly, um, which one of my flights went back into Philadelphia. So um, I was lucky enough to be with them throughout the whole journey um and for both of my flights and the first one we went into bahrain the second one we went into qatar both were very different experiences one that was leaving out of bahrain um was uh the folks were more so um it seemed like they had a different status i would say they had there was Some more english-speaking folks and people who worked for the u.s embassy and stuff and so their language skills were definitely um different and then the one out of qatar most people did not speak english Um, they had been um in qatar at that point for about two weeks since they left kabul so um the the state that they were in um on the on the flight out of qatar was was much more um it was a little – it was more difficult um, than than the one from um, Bahrain because in Bahrain they had only been there for 24 to 48 hours, most of our passengers. So they had quickly come from Kabul, gotten out there. Um, they, you know, had received medical care. So there weren't – there wasn't anyone that was bleeding or, you know – Broken and so on and so forth. Uh, th- those folks that received medical care had been able to, you know, um, get cleaned up and change and so on, and then get on board our flight. Um, the The one in Qatar out of Qatar was a little bit different. They had been sleeping in the air base um, for for two weeks and um, had not had uh, been able to, you know. Um, I don't think they had as many amenities there. um, And it was really crowded in in Qatar. So um, by the time they got on board our aircraft, they were dehydrated, they were hungry, um, all of those things. So I was so thankful that I had learned from my first flight. So I'd brought a whole suitcase full of children's clothes. Um, And so because the first flight, So many of the kids needed a change of clothes. And like Jillian's saying, they had nothing. So they don't have a bag packed, right? And um, most people left with a grocery bag full of their personal belongings. And so when they got on board our flight, um, if the kids made a mess of themselves, which they do, kids, you know, newborn all the way to about age five, um, they will make a mess. And so I had put an all call out to all my mom friends in my neighborhood and said, hey, you guys all want to help? give me all your kids clothing that you can, you have from newborn to five T I packed up the suitcase and, um, I passed out all the clothes throughout my flight. It was, I was glad that we had that, that we United was amazing with the provisions that we were given on both of my flights. Um, we had, you know, medication, children's medication, um, diapers, wipes, formula, all of those things. And then, and then, um, you know, Gatorade, electrolytes, those things that they really need. On my second flight, we had an incredible physician on board um, who had volunteered. Um, and thank goodness, because there was a lot of folks, like I said, that were dehydrated that needed um you know, uh, anti-nausea medication and stuff like that. There wasn't any, there wasn't any major, um, incidents or illnesses on board, but there, there was a lot of like stomach aches and bugs and so on that they were feeling. Um, and, and again, it's a huge change of climate and environment and, and so many things that they'd been through. And this was truly the first time that a lot of them had slept. So, um, we spent a lot of time just playing with the kids and keeping the kids occupied while the parents got some rest. And um, I spent a lot of my time talking to them, letting them share their pictures and stories and videos and how they got out of Kabul and um, where they've been since and where they plan to go when they get to the state. So really interesting.
0: And I can imagine, I mean, they get on the airplane, they're exhausted, they're, they're just wrecked. I mean, they see... Well, Jillian's smiling face under her mask, uh, <laughs> her <laughs> eyebrows. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But they still have to be pretty just scared about it, too, So because they I mean, they see you. You don't speak their language and, and, you know, they assume it'll be all right, I guess. But but then so, Artemis, when you have that first interaction with them in their own language, I mean, do they just light up?
2: Yeah. They do, um, I get super emotional every time I talk about it because I remember feeling the same way when I was leaving Iran. Um, and the first time someone spoke to me who was speaking English, but then spoke Farsi, it was like, wow, you do that. Um, and so as you can imagine, they're getting on an American airline. They see all of our very American looking, um, crew members and, um, and then to me, I speak English with no accent. So they don't know until I open my mouth and I say, and all of a sudden their eyes change. There's this look. And then there's the comment immediately to their family members like, did you hear her? She's spoke far mercy. And so like, as you can imagine, it's passing. And so they feel so much more at ease immediately because I would speak to them as they're coming on board. I'm helping seat them and telling them where to sit and so on. And, and, um, and they understand that now they can, they can actually speak to someone in their own language. And it's to be able to emphasize, emphasize with them in, in our mother language is a comforting feeling that you would only know if you have been in a situation where no one else can understand you, and you need so much to communicate. And and so it 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 was an incredible experience to watch them light up, and and to know that there's folks on board that can speak their language.
0: That's that's I, I can I mean I can only imagine. Um, I, yeah. I think you know every, all of us can only imagine, which is is. Uh because we're lucky <laughs> that we don't have to be in that situation. True. Sure. So, so Jillian, you know, the, everyone gets on, they're they're seated, you're flying. I mean, are you treating this like a – I mean, it's not a regular flight, but, you know, you're serving meals and doing safety demonstrations and, and all. I, I mean, is it sort of a surreal feeling for you to, to do this? I mean, how to, it, it must feel different but the same, right? Or is it a very different experience with a craft flight versus a, a scheduled flight?
1: well i think we had to uh, let some things go <laughs> <laughs> obviously not safety things i <laughs> won't we'll say that not safety things but you know it took some um, some patience and just just to, uh, to recognize that not everybody has been on an airplane before and so they don't understand that there's uh, an order of service, you know, that we get on the plane, we sit down, we do our safety demo, we take off, then we do a service, and then you sleep, and then we do another service before we land, and then you get off the plane, you know, like there's that order of service, but we had people up the entire time who were, you know, coming to the galley because, as Artemis said, you know, they're dehydrated, they're hungry, you know, they haven't showered, and who knows days to weeks uh, if they've been um uh, at one of the air bases with minimal amenities and you know so they're they're just asking for all these things and that and that's fine you know we everything on the plane we had you know we would give to them It, it, it wasn't a matter of you know us not having enough things you know we had so many kids coming into the galley we're hungry we're hungry and and we're just taking food off of our own crew trays and like, here, go. It's like, take this to your brothers and sisters, go. <laughs> it, it, send anybody else to us, you know? And so um, one of the captains, he had just brought a box of cookies as he normally does for the crew. And we ended up, you know, giving those out to the kids as well. And um, so in that sense, it wasn't it wasn't normal because we were trying to hold food for the service times. And yet... People are hungry when people are hungry and they've been on this airplane for over 16 hours um, just making their way to the United States. So uh, it was a little hectic, but we just were trying to make sure that people were fed and, you know, feeling comfortable in any small way. You know, if we could give somebody um, a bottle of water, then we would do that. If we could find um, some extra food or baby formula, then we would do that. You know, um, we, my crew, when we found out we were doing, um, an evac, the first evacuee flight, we stopped at grocery stores in Germany and bought wipes and tissues. And we bought hair stuff for the kids just in case, you know, they hadn't brushed their hair in a while. And so we were braiding hair in the back galley. We had our little hair salon <laughs> <Yeah>. going on. <laughs> so like that's, that wasn't normal. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, But, you know, one of the girls, one of the little girls, she must have been seven, eight, nine years old, she said she hadn't brushed her hair for a week and it was all matted underneath her headscarf. And, you know, we were just happy to do that, happy to help um, and just to be present and show them that, that they were that they are important and valued and that we see that.
0: See, I, I mean, I think what's so interesting about this is you—you you have this vision, like I had started in the conversation, of everyone's somber or they're, you know, it's—it's it's this heavy weight. But you're on this airplane for so long, <laughs> like you, you know, it, like life happens, and so you're braiding hair. You, so it, it probably was a, a a more happier, positive experience for people, even if there is uncertainty and things like that. They're they're still feeling this the sense of relief, and then just. Normal life starting to creep in again, I suppose.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, there's a lot of joy in it too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um. So, how many? I mean, were there? A, how many interpreters are on the on each flight? Artemis we were...
2: We try to have at least two on each flight. Um. And on both of the flights I was on, there was two of us. And the nice part was that there's a male and a female. Um. I was lucky enough to have that. Um. But I think that the the nice part about that is that um, the females are obviously the women are are much more um, timid to speak up. Um, It's a cultural thing. So um, when there is another woman on board, especially who's speaking their language, um, they're able to break out of that a little bit more, ask for what they need, tell us all of their needs, whether it's personal things or or not. And so um, and and that was it was you know i had a pregnant woman on board for example and she was actually one who was extremely on the conservative side and and the re- religious side and was wearing the full burqa and so on and so um she was pregnant but she wasn't showing it and then all of a sudden i'm i'm like when she's talking to me i'm like are you okay and i'm a mom so i'm like and she's, she says pregnant and she i said how long she's like 40 weeks and i'm like oh my. And I told her, I said, I said, don't have the baby here on the airbase. The baby won't have a nationality. And so I joked with her and she said, oh no, I'm holding this baby in until we get to America. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, we exchanged numbers. Baby was born, I think, 37 hours after they landed in the US. So she was actually... <laughs> Feeling um, the fact that that baby girl was about to be born, um, and and other moms they were telling me about, you know, their little girls and their little girls were sitting there, and and I had girls who were calling me. Um, one girl called me um, Auntie America, and and so Hale <laughs> America is how they say it, and um, and so they wanted to take selfies, and we said they wanted me to sit down, and they would put one of their earplugs into my ears and make me watch the Disney movies with them on our onboard entertainment system and um so we were singing disney songs i'm a huge disney nerd so i should <laughs> put that out there but um but yeah it, there was there was joyful moments, and then there was the moments where we sat down and i would cry with them because they would tell me how how afraid they were of, of for their family that they had to leave behind and then how it was so um the tumult that they left was so overbearing that um, they, they, for for some Americans, I guess I, what I want everyone to know is that it's not always a relief to leave. We're leaving and we feel guilt because there's those of us we leave behind. One, and we leave our country behind, and our country changed, right? So um, it's not always a relief, but there is there is that sense of hope and um our my hope is that we all become really good neighbors to the folks that have come in and um and give them more hope because the there is there is a lot that they some of them left behind right not all of these these folks are folks that are in, a, in the southern parts of Afghanistan and the villages. Some folks had great lives. They, I spoke to a gentleman who was working with our Green Berets, our SEALs, was translating, um, spoke, spoke eight different languages, um, and I told him, "You need to come here and work for United." <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. I absolutely there was there was folks that left really great lives behind too. So.
0: I have no doubt, um, but they realized that they were better off getting out. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, for sure. you have to make that decision. It, it's not you can't waffle on it. You have right. a very short time to to make this plan here, and then you have a lot of time to think about it after you make the decision, which is the hard part, I would assume. Right. You mentioned that some of these people were talking to you about what their plans were once they landed. What what are those plans? I mean, what do people who just pick up and leave everything do they have fully formed plans or is it we figure it out or you know
2: I think the the stories that I was told, um, there was there was folks who were coming back in, as Jillian said, who are American citizens, or they have green cards, they were out there visiting, they absolutely have a plan. Then there's the folks who don't, and they literally, the Taliban was knocking on their door, pounding on their door, and they had to go out from a back door on foot, holding their two children, a plastic bag full of belongings, leaving all of their jewelry, money, everything behind and ran for the airport um, and sat at that airport for days on end until they were able to get in to the gate. Um, those folks, for the most part, if they don't have families here in the states or family in the states or friends, um, their plan is just to rebuild and to settle um, once they're able to get the settlement and all of the packages and so on that, that our great country is offering, I think that their plan is to, um, you know, uh, figure it out as 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 it is, learn the language, um, and and go from there.
0: So they just have, I mean, there are some different organizations, I guess, that you know, when they get off in Philly or in Washington, wherever it is, that kind of help them get started on that plan. That's that's how it works, is that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that they're being sent off to different bases within the U.S. and then also to different organizations, so on and so forth, that are taking in um, the evacuees. So um, as they get there i i've kept in touch with a couple of fam- a few families and and they're telling me that you know they took a few days to get processed out depending on whether they were in virginia or in philadelphia and then they have now gone into the other bases whether it's in you know new jersey in new mexico wherever they're landing and they're going to they're going to have temporary housing there up until they can they can move forward
0: I mean, it sounds like this was a a once in a lifetime experience. Well, you hope it's a once in a lifetime experience, I suppose. But I mean, Jillian, is this something that, you know, when you think back on it, how do you what's the feeling you take away from from the whole thing?
1: This is uh, the highlight of my career at this point, being able to help in this way. Um, my I come from a, a military family, and so. The majority of my family members at one point or another uh, went through Afghanistan uh, within the last decade. And so it's been memorable for me as well to be able to assist um, those uh, Afghan citizens who are escaping um, and and to bring them to uh, a safe place and a place where they can be prosperous and they can they can pursue their own dreams. But it's definitely a highlight of my career to be a part of these people, of, of their of their lives at this point.
0: It certainly seems a lot more meaningful than maybe yelling at someone to put their mask back on again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very different experience than your run-of-the-mill uh, daily flights, I yeah, suppose. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, this is great. Th- thank you for, for chatting with me about the experience. I mean, it, it sounds like, uh, yeah, it sounds like it was just incredible. Um, and, you know, thanks for keeping these people safe and fed and, and getting them somewhere where they can be safe uh, and do great things. So this is great. I appreciate your time, both of you.
2: Appreciate you. Thank you.
0: And that was the end of our conversation. Fascinating, isn't it, when you can really get more detailed about what that was like instead of just reading it in the news. Uh, I, I just love that. And I should note, if you did not come to us through the blog, go to crankyflyer.com because I'm posting some photos there, uh, of both Artemis and Jillian, uh, as well as some of the photos that were taken on the aircraft. So come and check that out. Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Ontario International Airport. If you'd like to give feedback on this podcast, or even better, if you'd like to join Ontario as a sponsor, send me a note at cf at crankyflyer.com. That's it for this episode until next time.